Hello and welcome to the Neshama Project podcast where we explore spiritual teachings for living happier, healthier, more centered lives. I'm Rabbi Ben Newman. Today we're going to be discussing the Torah portion of this week, which is Shlach Lecha from the Book of Numbers. And it's actually one of my favorite stories in the Torah because it points to how much mindset really determines our reality and determines how we approach our lives. Um, The story of this Parsha begins when there's a command from the Holy One to Moses to tell the people of the tribes to each send one representative to go and explore the land that they're about to enter. And this is a time when they're thinking about entering the land, but they're still in the wilderness. And so they send a representative from each tribe, and they come back, and ten of the spies, as they call them, ten of the people who are sent to go and explore the land come back with a negative report, and they say things like, It's too hard for us. They're all giants there, and we look like grasshoppers in their eyes, and there's just no way that we can enter the land. Uh, We'll be destroyed. And two of the spies, two of the reporters, Caleb and Joshua, say it's a good land flowing with milk and honey and that we should enter it and that we're going to be blessed. So this is all an exercise in understanding that perspective really shapes our reality uh, and that you can view the challenges in your life as obstacles that can't be overcome or you can view these same obstacles as challenges that help us to grow and you can look on the positive side of what lies ahead. So. I'm going to present two Hasidic commentaries today. Uh, one is from a book called The Or Hamair from Zev Wolf of Jetemer from uh, 1798, and the other is from the Or Torah from the Magid of Mezrich, published in 1804. Uh, both very important Hasidic commentaries. And we'll start with the Or HaMeir. He's commenting on the verse from Numbers 13, 27 to 28 and 30, which says, They spoke to him, saying, We came into the land where you sent us. It indeed flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. But the people dwelling there is strong. But Caleb silenced the people from Moses, saying, we will indeed go up and inherit it, for we are able. The meaning in terms of Moses' wanting them to scout out the land of Canaan was to teach Israel to scout out all the letters that are dressed in land, quote-unquote, or earthly things. To this they replied, Yes, we came into the land where you sent us. We indeed do want to see our king to grasp divinity, even as found within earthly matters and human pleasures. We do not want to cheat at the service of God, doing things that alienate us from God, but we find it difficult. 
Not every mind is capable of this acting in the lower world while pointing toward the upper. It is all too likely that we will fall, remaining almost completely sunk in corporeality. Not only will we fail to lift anything up, but we will bring down those sublime letters of Torah just making things worse. Quote, only few can rise high. Babylonian Talmud, Sukkah 45b, having that power to uplift the letters of Torah. This was, quote, the ill report of the land that the children of Israel scouted, saying, the land you sent us to scout is one that consumes its inhabitants, unquote. Numbers 13.32. I heard the Magid explain that the distinct character of earthliness is that it destroys those who become too much at home in it, filling themselves with earthly pleasures. The word Yoshveha, its dwellers, implies delay, destroying a person in both this world and the next. This happens to those who allow themselves to tarry, getting stuck in the physical world. But Caleb silenced the people for Moses, saying, We will indeed go up and inherit it, for we are able. Rashi says that he silenced them all since, quote, Caleb had a different spirit within him, unquote. Numbers 14.24 His heart was truly whole with God. His soul deeply knew that the Holy One does not seek confrontation with people, but gives each one of us the sort of burden that we are able to bear. Each is given a heavier or lighter burden of service in accordance with our degree of awareness and understanding. If only we turn our hearts toward heaven, we too can bring about ascent, lifting the limbs of the Shekhinah to her elevated home. This is the meaning of, we will indeed go up. It is not, as you said, the people dwelling there is strong, and therefore whoever does not have great awareness is as useless as a dry twig, unable to raise up the lower rungs. We will indeed go up, said Caleb, counting himself among them. Each of us, on our own level, can raise up the Shekhinah. We will indeed go up and inherit her, Otah. We will all act as one person, together inheriting Otah, the letter He, Shekhinah. There is not one among Israel who does not have a place to hold on to the embodiment of Shekhinah. Each of us can do the work of cosmic repair corresponding to that particular hold. That proper work is easy to do because we were not created in, us, in this world with a task harder than we can accomplish. This silenced them all because the Holy Blessed One does not impose service on people that is too hard for them to do. So what is this commentary saying? Partially it's saying what I was saying, which is that perspective shapes reality. But it's also saying that each one of us has a place that's right for each of us and that each of us has our own difficulties to deal with. Uh, and we're given our difficulties in accordance and our challenges in accordance with what we can handle. Uh, in accordance with our own spiritual work. And we need to view our lives as part of that spiritual work. It's not separate. And when he talks about raising up the Shekhinah, what he's talking about is bringing holiness into this world and 
to use another metaphor, uplifting the sparks of holiness that are within the material world. I don't think he's denying uh, corporeality or material pleasures uh, or even desire. I think he's saying that we need to uplift the corporeal, the material, to the realm of the spiritual, to raise things up to their higher source. So, for example, if we have a challenge or a desire or something earthly that we're facing in our lives, this is part of the spiritual work. This is part of what we are called here to transform and uplift. I'm reminded of a quote from Ramdas, who, as he says, was Jewish on his parents' side, <clears throat> uh, from Be Here Now. He says, Practice is like a roller coaster. Each new high is usually followed by a new low. Understanding this, it makes it a bit easier to ride with both phases. There is, in addition to the up and down cycles, an in and out cycle. That is, there are stages at which you feel pulled into inner work and all you seek is a quiet place to meditate and get on with it. And then there are times when you turn outward and seek to be involved in the marketplace. Both of these parts of the cycle are a part of one's practice. For what happens to you in the marketplace helps in your meditation and what happens in your meditation helps you to participate in the marketplace without attachment. At first, you will think of practice as a limited part of your life. In time, you will realize that everything you do is part of your practice. Everything you do is part of your practice. And I think that's part of what Zev Wolf of Zetemir was talking about here, that the things that we perceive as materiality in our life or corporeality or just the land, quote-unquote, are actually, that's the spiritual work that we have to engage in. And each one of us is given our own particular spiritual work according to our situation in life, according to who we are and what our soul was meant to do. So the second text I'd like to bring forward is from the Or Torah, which is from the Magid of Mezrich. He's commenting on... Numbers 1332, a land, Eretz, that consumes those who dwell in it, Yoshevehah. He writes, Everything contains the ten moral, human, and divine qualities. That is what we mean when we say that the entire Torah is God's delight. Even its narratives speak of some quality like love or fear. The Blessed Holy One is cloaked in each of them. You just have to take care to raise up every thought. If thoughts of love come to you, lift them up. The same with fear and all the rest. Don't just dwell or sit there with them. That would be really foolish. A person travels to a city to do some business. Instead of engaging in business, they just sit there, having left their family behind. Can you imagine any greater folly? In the same way, the Blessed Holy One sends you to a certain thought, in order that you raise it up. It would be really foolish of you to just dwell there with it and not restore it to God. That is Eretz, the corporeal realm, that consumes those who just dwell in it forever. 
to me, this is very connected to the way that I meditate and do spiritual practice. When a thought, a feeling, a sensation comes to me, my task is to not grasp onto it. And I think that's what he means by dwell in it. Uh, not be taken away by it, um, but to notice it and uplift it, meaning not push it away um, and not dwell on it, but just to be aware of it and to raise it up to its divine source, meaning what is this thought, feeling, sensation here to teach me? What is its essence? Why is it appearing to me, manifesting for me in this moment? Uh, and then to realize that it's impermanent and let it go, not dwell on it, not let it consume you and take you away from the present moment. And that's just my interpretation here. Uh, Arthur Green, the author of this commentary uh, and translation that I've been reading from, says, Like Moses' spies, we too are sent into the land, the world of our physical selves and worldly thoughts, in order to do the business of uplifting and transformation. How easy it is, like the ten spies, to become intimidated, or even worse, to just forget what we were sent here to do. Rabbi Zalman Shachter Shalomi, when he talks about meditation, uh, he talks about the Jewish version of meditation being really, instead of just letting go of your thoughts, feelings, and sensations and realizing they're impermanent, he talks about sending them back to the divine um, and returning them to their source in the divine, giving them up to God, so to speak. So that's a sort of a, a little bit more of a religious, spiritual, um, the theistic version of meditation and spiritual practice. That being said, in essence, I think it's really the same thing. Uh, it's transforming these thoughts, feelings, emotions, sensations that might consume you and bring you down uh, to something higher, to a higher purpose, to attach you to the great oneness, the great unity of it all, which um, is God. Uh, for want of a better term. God, so to speak, as the spiritual teachers say. So that's what we have for this week, Parshat Shlach Lecha. Thank you for joining me today on the Neshama Project podcast. Until next time, this is Rabbi Ben Newman. Take care.